is A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. from Humidor 1A in the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Dave. Not only is my vision 2020, but so is the new year 2020. I remember watching the TV show 2020 way back with Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. I'm Hugh Downs. I'm Papa Walters. And this is 2020. It is 2020. Hard to believe as we get set for a brand new year of Alpha Male Broadcast Pleasure Maneuvers. We welcome you. Some very interesting developments over the last few weeks in the world of cigars that we will get to. Of course, the enemies of pleasure, they never take a rest. They didn't take the holidays off. Well, we are come. We are coming to you prepared, ready, fully rested for a year to battle the enemies of pleasure, to enjoy Alpha Male Pleasure Maneuvers. So buckle your seatbelts. It is a new year of Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Maneuvers. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. And screw the Iranian mullahs. What a beautiful takedown of that enemy of America, enemy of freedom. President Trump, nads of steel. And what did the Iranians do? Yeah, they fired some blanks that missed everything. Now, if you really want to hit something, you can hit something. But they tried to save face. Good move, because otherwise President Trump would have unleashed the fury of the U.S. military with some beautiful, beautiful, big, huge, huge mothers of all bombs. All right, before we get ready to take on the enemies of pleasure, First up, I want to extend a very uh, big thank you to all the our alphas and our lieutenants listeners that emailed me over the last couple of weeks. Uh, as you know by now, if you follow me on social media, heard the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to say goodbye to my wonderful German Shepherd canine companion, Sultan, Pendragon's Royal Sultan, after 14 years. It was a terrible Friday, December uh, 20th that I had to say goodbye to him. Unfortunately, his rear legs had just started to give out. But to have a dog, a canine, a German Shepherd, 14 years that long is just really, I was blessed to have him. He was a wonderful, wonderful dog. And the uh, outpouring that I received, the emails that I received from all of you uh, that have dogs, animals, pets that have had to go through the same thing. It is the worst. They really are part of our family. And uh, just so many life events that I went through with Sultan. In fact, the last probably big one was having to evacuate during Hurricane Irma just over two years ago where we had to evacuate to Charleston. And literally, we packed a go bag, and away we went. Left the Cigar City of Tampa, went up to Charleston for a week, and he was uh, fantastic. And it was just everywhere I went with him, 
People said, oh, can I take a picture with them? In fact, uh, one of the uh, terminals at the airport, there were a number of Marines that were there that were uh, coming down to do relief efforts down in South Florida, Naples, Fort Myers, and a number of the Marines all wanted to take pictures with Sultan. He was a special dog. He mentored Baron, my 21-month-old German Shepherd, who is a big, beautiful beast. As Donald Trump would say, big, beautiful. He is a beast, and beast in a good way because he's very large, but he is uh, just as sweet as Sultan. So thank you to all. We will miss him, but uh, we have uh, started to make the just Still weird when I come into the house, even with Baron, to go look and not see Sultan sitting in his place. But... He uh, can still feel his presence, a great, great companion. So thanks to all uh, between social media and all the emails I received. That was uh, very nice of all of you. All right, now we must tangle and do business with the enemies of pleasure. Warning. Warning. We've reached DEFCON 1. Civil rights have been breached. Congressional insurgency has begun. Stand by as your general enacts countermeasures. I have always told you that you know that I go after the taxocrats, the Democrats. But I've also said the same thing, that there are many Republicans that I call repiglicans because they are pigs. They are just as dirty, they are just as manipulative and as corrupt as the taxocrats. And a perfect example came to us right before the end of the year, end of 2019, before Congress went on their Christmas recess, they needed to pass a spending bill. And whenever you hear about these spending bills, they're never clean bills. It's never just, okay, we're going to pass a budget resolution, everything's going to go on the same. No. There's all sorts of little goodies that are buried in there. And Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky, who is in the back pocket of Altria, of big tobacco, slipped a little surprise for all of those of us who enjoy cigars, the cigar manufacturers, and really for people that believe in American freedom, the right to make your decisions when you become an adult. At one time, 18 was the age to become an adult. At one time, you had to be, I think, uh, 21 to vote, and they lowered it to 18. They said, wait a minute, 18 is the age in which people become adults, so you could vote at 18. At one time, you could enjoy libations at 18. Then they raised it to 21. At one time, you could enjoy other, I think uh, you have to be what, Sergeant Steve, you have to be 21 to get a, a gun now? Or is it still 18? 18. Well, that's coming. Don't worry. It's coming next. Well, we have seen over the last year many municipalities and counties and states lowering the tobacco purchase age from 21 to 19. Or correction, raising it from 18 to 19 or 18 to 21 or 19 to 21. Well, now it is federal law thanks to scumbag Mitch McConnell. In the very, very late hours, Mitch McConnell and Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia, both in the back pockets of Altria of Big Tobacco, slipped in a little bit of legislation amending the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act that would raise the federal minimum age of sale of tobacco products from 18 years of age to 21 years of age. President Trump 
signed the bill. Now, remember, this wasn't just one bill. This wasn't just one bill that went to President Trump saying, okay, this just says we're going to amend the FDA's uh, Food Drug Cosmetic Act and we're going to raise the tobacco purchase age. That's not what happened. He got a, a, a bill, probably 2,000 pages, and buried in there on December 20th, Mitch McConnell and Tim Kaine put it in, put legislation in there that it would now become illegal for a retailer to sell any tobacco product, including cigarettes, e-cigarettes, or our beloved cigars to anyone under the age of 21. Now, the very next day, again, there was no debate on this. There was no debate on the House floor, on the Senate floor. There was no debate in any way, shape, or form. This was just buried in there with thousands of other pages, and the president, his priority is to sign a spending bill. Before we go, 2020, boom, we have a spending bill, and now the, the government can stay open. In an election year, nobody, Republicans, taxocrats, nobody wanted to close down the government. So when you have a bill that's thousands of pages that weighs probably 30 pounds, you know, they boom, slam it right on the president's desk and say, okay, Mr. President, here it is. You think the president read it? Do you think members of the House or Senate read it? Hell no. Absolutely not. They buried it in. Never mind that the cigar industry has been trying to get language into a spending bill the last 10 years that would exclude premium cigars from FDA regulation. Could never get it in. But isn't it amazing? It is miraculous. Praise the Lord. It's that miraculous that Kentucky Mitch, Mitch the Mule for Altria, was able to get the paragraph, the section in to raise the tobacco wage. Now, why would Altria, why would Altria want to raise the tobacco purchasing age? They sell cigarettes. They're a cigarette company, right? Not so fast, my friends. Altria is also one of the largest companies that has a stake in vaping in the e-cigarette industry. Big. Now, vaping electronic cigarettes have been under attack. They've been under attack because kids have been underage youth, under the age of 18, have been purchasing these. I mean, I've never... When, when you look at these vaping products where there's watermelon and bubblegum and peach and all this other nonsense, who do you think they're going after? Now, if you just have a vaping product, I know people that use the vaping products who quit cigarettes, and this was a, a great transition for them. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, if somebody wants to vape, that's up to them. But clearly, these vaping companies, e-cigarettes, were targeting underage youth. The premium cigar and even the handmade cigar, or the, the mass market cigar companies have never targeted underage youth. They don't want high school kids smoking cigars. When was the last time you saw a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old firing up a Padron 1926 anniversary or a Monte Cristo or a Diamond Crown or a premium cigar of any type? Doesn't happen. You think they're going to spend Six, eight, ten, twelve dollars, twenty dollars? No chance. No chance. Now, why did Altria? Why did they want to raise the age? Well, first of all, Altria 
is not only the owner of the Marlboro brand, they are the top investor in vaping giant Juul Labs. They paid several billion dollars, several billion dollars for their stake, their minority stake in Juul Labs. Big money. So now the vaping industry is under attack. So what do they do? How do they get around the FDA trying to really crack down on things by saying, look, we don't want underage kids smoking cigars. We don't want underage, or correction, underage youth vaping and buying our e-cigarettes. No, 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 no. We're in favor of raising the age to 21. So what they do is they appear as if they're the good guys. Altria comes up and says, we're the good guys. We don't want to sell to underage youth. We want to raise the age. So they go to McConnell. They go to Tim Kaine. Again, both states where they have big presence, tobacco presence. And they get McConnell and Kaine, Republican taxocrat, join forces together. Again, not even through a committee. Boom, boom, boom. They just insert the language, and they raise the age to purchase any tobacco or e-cigarette or vaping product from 18 to 21 on a national basis. So now, Altria can say, look, and Jewel, we're in favor of raising the age. We don't want kids. We don't want youth, even though they damn well did market to youth and kids with all these cockamamie flavors. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. Mitch McConnell knows it. Tim Kaine knows it. But that didn't stop those guys from being in the back pocket of Altria and raising the age to 21. Now, mind you, it is not illegal. This is a very interesting discrepancy. In most states, it is illegal not only for people under the age of 21 to purchase alcoholic products, it is also illegal for them to consume, uh, not alcohol, uh, uh, alcoholic products, also illegal for them to consume al- alcoholic pro- uh, products. So again, you go into a state, they say it's 21 to purchase alcohol, but also you've got to be 21 to drink and consume alcohol. Not the case. So if I buy a cigar, I'm of legal age, I buy a cigar and I'm having a party at my house, It is not illegal for anyone under the age of 21 to consume that cigar. Big difference between alcohol and raising the age to purchase tobacco from 18 to 21. It is still 100% legal for any person under the age of 21 to consume those products. So Altria now knows damn well that there will be 21-year-olds that will go out and buy those watermelon and bubblegum and pineapple and, and M&M and, and Snickers-flavored vape products. I don't know if they have Snickers, but who knows? Some of the cockamamie flavors they have, you never know. And now, underage youth can still get them. Now, I don't want anybody telling me that at 18, where I can legally vote, where I can serve this country, give up life and limb for this country, but I'm not old enough to enjoy a cigar. I'm not old enough to purchase a cigar. This is nonsense. Well, let's look a little bit deeper at good old Kentucky Mitch, the Republican. Good old Mitch is Big Tobacco's special friend. Mitch McConnell has said one of his highest priorities 
is to take on the leading cause of preventable death in the U.S., smoking. Now, we know that cigars are consumed differently than cigarettes. We know that. We're talking about cigarettes, vaping products, all these other, uh, these other products that are totally different than cigars. But Mitch McConnell has said that we need to end the scour, the, 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 just the, the, the epidemic of underage smoking. Now, again, Altria, his good buddy. Just remember one thing. Follow the money. Remember follow the bouncing ball when they'd have, like, music on a cartoon? Follow the money. When you follow the money and look at who made major donations for the McConnell Center based at the University of Louisville that offers scholarships to college students, hosts lectures, holds McConnell's private archives. Who are the big givers? Oh, $200,000 from Brown and Williamson Williamson Tobacco Company. Philip Morris, Sergeant Steve, Philip Morris, you think they gave a few bucks to Mitch McConnell and his Mitch McConnell Center? Probably, you know, what do you think? 20, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. 40 bucks, yeah, 450,000 bucks. And let's not forget the RJR Nabisco founded RJ Reynolds, right? $500,000, $14,000 from the Tobacco Institute, and $125,000 from U.S. Tobacco. Do you think collectively these cigarette big tobacco groups would have donated almost a million dollars if they didn't want some sort of special excess? We all know the answer to that. When you look at all the soft dollars to his campaign and even the hard money all over the place, Mitch McConnell is totally in the back pocket of big cigarette tobacco. Cigar companies primarily dominated by family-run companies, boutique manufacturers. Yes, there are some larger companies, but never once, never once, has any cigar manufacturer's premium cigar manufacturer gone in and said, hey, let's market our $20, $10, $8 cigars to kids. Doesn't happen, never did happen. Big tobacco, big cigarette tobacco, they, and big vaping, they did it all the time. The bottom line, Mitch McConnell is on the take. He is corrupt as every other politician in Washington. He is a scumbag. I'll never forget a story that I want to relate to you. This has got to be 10, 8, 10 years ago. The meeting was of the Cigar Rights of America, and there were numerous manufacturers that came in from across the country and across the state. There's probably 35, 40 manufacturers in attendance at the J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Mitch McConnell was the special guest. And Mitch McConnell agreed to come down to hear the plight of cigar manufacturers, that the S-chip legislation would have a big impact, that pending FDA regulation that would deem cigars in the same category as cigarettes would have a huge impact, came down. It's about a two-hour meeting, about 15 minutes, bounced around at a little, I think it was almost like a pre-lunch reception, and then in the J.C. Newman uh, factory in their cafeteria, all the tables were set up uh, in a big square where he was sitting at the head table, and there were people all around, a rectangular type of uh, thing. So there were probably about 40 manufacturers, and everybody went around and introduced themselves, what company they were, and you know, many of them said, I'm a third generation in the cigar industry, it were a boutique, and this and that. And finally, after going around... About half the room, and people were going on a little bit 
long talking about their company's history, he interrupted and said, okay, I definitely get the fact that most of you are not huge companies. I get the story. And then everybody went around, finished introducing themselves. And, you know, Marble Mouth, Marble Mouth Mitch said, well, well, I understand that the FDA regulation, but I can tell you that the Obama administration is pushing this and we are not for this. But yet, when it came time to raising the age to purchase tobacco, 21, no problem, because he was in the back pocket. And I'll never forget, here's a story about all you need to know about Mitch McConnell. To me, the way someone interacts with a canine, with a dog, tells you a lot. As an example, Voice Talent Ed and I were having lunch several weeks ago down in Sarasota, along with Master Chief George Sosa formerly of Alec Bradley Cigars, now living in Sarasota and going to be opening three new cigar and cigar lounge locations. We're outside having a cigar, having a cocktail, and all these people were coming up. There's an Orange Theory next door, and all these people come up, and all these ladies, oh, Baron, he's so cute. Can I pet him? Is he friendly? Oh, absolutely. Loves it. A delivery guy got out of his car. Baron immediately got up. His ears perked up. Didn't like something about this guy. He smelled something. Who knows? He immediately started barking. Now, I had him on a leash. He was next to me. And when the guy left, I looked at Ed and George, and I said, something was not right about that guy. Baron detected it. Well, Bobby Newman had his beautiful Labrador retriever, who was uh, a genie, who at the time was maybe, I don't know, five, six. And he would take Jeannie everywhere, and Jeannie ends up going underneath the table by Mitch McConnell, and Mitch McConnell kept chewing the dog away. Now, me, I would have said, oh, what a great dog. Pet the dog. Mitch McConnell not only hates you, cigar connoisseurs, not only hates those that are of legal age at 18, he hates dogs. And if Mitch McConnell hates dogs... As far as I'm concerned, the man is an absolute enemy. You know everything you need to know about a person. When a dog, a person doesn't like a dog, that's all you need to know. Mitch McConnell is a bad guy. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is the Gatekeeper from Alec and Bradley. This cigar was blended with the help of Ernesto Perez Carrillo. This beautiful stick has notes of cedar, nuts, and leather, giving it a smooth and rich profile. You can get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Get details at CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, 
quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. At the Cigar Dave Show, there are several things we really like in a Washington bureaucrat. Uh, embalming fluid? A wooden stake through the heart? Well, I guess after those two things, you really don't need the rest. Spot on. Spot on, especially when it pertains to nefarious Mitch. Or we can call him Big Cigarette Tobacco Mule Mitch. Good old Mule Mitch. The good old mule that whatever Altria says, he will do. Unbelievable. Mitch McConnell is an absolute bad guy. You can't make a good deal with a bad guy. And all I needed to know about Mitch when I saw the fact that he didn't like dogs, didn't like Bobby Newman's dog, Genie, beautiful, actually not a Labrador retriever, golden retriever, didn't like uh, Genie, that's all you need to know. Well, there is some good news. Bad news and good news. Here's the good news. As you all know, the FDA has been after premium cigars. They have deemed, several years ago, they deemed cigars to be in the same category as cigarettes and chewing tobacco and uh, other types of tobacco products, in which the FDA could, number one, enact a user tax, meaning every time you buy a cigar, there is a hidden tax in there to fund the FDA's Mitch Zealot Zeller and his Tobacco Control Division at the FDA. That's number one. It also required that there would be testing of all tobacco products to deem all the chemicals that are in there, and you'd have to make sure that all the cigars that were launched were substantially equivalent in the blend and characteristics to what they call pre-market cigars, going back like nine years ago when the FDA initially enacted the family smoking uh, legislation under the Obama administration. Well, there have been a lot of lawsuits going back and forth, and cigar manufacturers have said, look, we're in a totally different category. They've been trying to make their case. They've been going to the White House, going to the Office of Management and Budget, and they have stated that if the FDA were to require all the regulatory clearances and hurdles for the cigar manufacturers and even cigar retailers, mom-and-pop shops across the country, that it could put 88% of U.S. cigar manufacturers and importers out of business, destroy 5,300 U.S. jobs. Now, the OMB, the only one that wants to destroy jobs are the taxocrats. They want to destroy fossil fuel jobs, oil, fracking, coal, all these yo-yos. All these yahoos have no problem putting hundreds of thousands of people out of work. And then in their fantasy land, they say, oh, but it's going to be a new economy and we're going to have even more jobs and higher paying jobs. Fantasy land, my friends. Fantasy land. Not going to happen. So the Cigar Rights of America and all the other cigar industry groups have been making their case to the White House, to the OMB, even to the FDA. Well, the FDA was set 
to begin enforcement of other tobacco products, including cigars, around May 12, 2020. But there is good news. The FDA announced plans to more aggressively regulate e-cigarettes and vaping products while at the same time saying that premium cigars are amongst the FDA's lowest tobacco priority. Now, even though the FDA has said it's low priority, it is draft guidance. The FDA is simply sharing their current thought process with the public, with the industry. Nothing is definite, but they updated specifically where they stand on premium cigars. Now, manufacturers will still be subject to all the planned regulations, but the FDA said that it plans on directing its resources to aggressively go after e-cigarettes and that cigars would receive less attention. Now, this is good and bad. I would prefer that the FDA come out and say, look, cigars really are not a priority for us at all. So therefore, we're just going to take it off. We're going to take it off the list. We don't need to enforce it. No ifs, ands, or buts. But that's not what, what is happening. What they're saying is that the lowest priority among all the tobacco products will include relatively expensive, large hand-rolled cigars that do not have flavors, given what FDA understands to be their comparatively lower youth usage rates. And that is true. Youth, underage kids, they do not smoke premium cigars. But it explained that manufacturers will still have to submit what they call substantial equivalents. And this is a big issue. Because now, if a manufacturer wants to come out with a new cigar blend, they have to show that it's similar to an old blend that was on the market going back, I think, nine years ago. And that's been a big contention with the FDA. Because as you know, as cigar connoisseurs enjoy every year at the Cigar Retailers Convention, new cigars, new blends, new wrappers, new sizes, that would have to go through FDA not only testing but regulation and approval. Well, the cigarette industry has to go through that. They've had to go through that. It's been taking them. It takes years to get that approved. Giant bureaucracy. So the FDA has said, we have decided not to prioritize enforcement of the tobacco products covered by this section before May 12, 2020. Manufacturers of flavored cigars, however, just like manufacturers of all other deemed new tobacco products, will be required to submit marketing applications for those products by May 12th, 2020. As part of the pre-market review process, FDA may evaluate, among other things, the product's constituents, ingredients, additives, properties, manufacturing process, so on and so forth. That means the agency will primarily focus on, or on uh, uh, mass market cigars. They won't apply the same sort of scrutiny to premium cigars, such as substantial equivalents, as well as less monitoring of the market to determine if there are non-compliant cigars on the market. But again, this is just a guideline. This isn't a rule. Now, the FDA has been taken to court on multiple different levels. The White House has been pressuring the FDA to back off of premium cigars. The Office of Management and Budget, which has to review any economic effect on an industry or segment of an industry before regulations take place, they are not in favor of the FDA regulating premium cigars. So in the third year of the Trump White House, of the Trump administration, maybe we are starting to make some progress. Don't know. 
could be a possibility. We will have to keep our eyes out for things. But I will tell you this. The FDA has bigger fish to fry in my estimation. I just read an article not that long ago that under the new China trade agreement or the first, the first step in this China trade agreement that American chicken processors could send their chickens to China to be processed into the final product, whether it is packaged chicken or cooked chicken. And my question is this. Do we need our chicken products, our food products, going over being exported to China, processed, and then shipped back to the United States? I don't think so. Dog treats China can't even make without killing dogs. And now we want to send our food there? I can tell you one thing, that I do not buy any dog treat or dog food that is processed, manufactured, or has one lick of ingredient coming from China. I always look for the made in the USA uh, a badge on the dog treats. In fact, many of the stores, Petco, PetSmart, a number of years ago when there was a, a big rampant uh, prevalence of tainted dog treats coming from China on the market, they yanked all this. They just took them off the shelves and have never replaced them. Now, some have, but I don't want anything made in China. Zero, zilch, nada. So doesn't the FDA have more pressing items to deal with rather than those of us adults that want to enjoy an occasional premium hand-rolled cigar? Doesn't the FDA, shouldn't they spend their time securing our food supply? Shouldn't they spend their time working on approving new drugs quicker that can save people's lives, enhance people's lives? I mean, they've got this, this tobacco control division is a giant bureaucracy. I don't know how many thousands of people are in it, but it's another giant Washington bureaucracy. And how Mitch Zealot Zeller, who oversees that, how his ass was not fired on day one by Dr. I think it was uh, uh, Scott Gottlieb, who was the initial FDA commissioner under the Trump administration. How on earth Gottlieb didn't get rid of Mitch Zealot Zeller is beyond me. Guy should have been given a copy of the home game. Bye-bye, out the door, you're fired. But in Washington, they don't do that. In Washington, they get to stick around just looking at the clock, tick, 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 to see how long they get their 20, 25 years in until they can get their pension and retire. That's all they're looking for in Washington with these bureaucratic jobs. Let's just count down the seconds until we can retire. Absurd. Let's hope that the cigar, premium cigar industry, gets some good news from the Trump administration, from the OMB, the Trump White House, and the FDA backs off permanently. We will keep an eye on things. Very quickly, U-Haul announced they are implementing a nicotine-free hiring policy for all new employees in 21 states where it is legal to discriminate against people who consume tobacco products, beginning on February 1st. Any team member employee of U-Haul prior to that date will not be impacted by the no tobacco policy. Now, U-Haul is coming out saying we want our team members to be healthy and that nicotine products are addictive. Now, that even includes cigars. They are going to include any tobacco product, even cigars. And what they're going to say is that employees, new employers, are subject to 
random testing. Now, you can't test for nicotine in the bloodstream. You can test for a byproduct called cotinine. Now, the average cigar smoker has a cotinine level that is pretty much the same as a non-smoker. I think a non-smoker may have a zero to three, and a cigar smoker could have like a two to about an eight, nine, depending on how many cigars and so on. But a cigarette smoker is like 50, 60, I think more if I'm not mistaken. So U-Haul now wants to discriminate for those employees who, let's say, for example, want to have a celebratory cigar. They have a child. They want to have a cigar. They attend a wedding. They attend a, uh, some other celebratory occasion. They light a cigar. And they say, oh, we're testing you. Your cotiny level is higher than a non-smoker. We're going to fire you. And in 21 states that allow discrimination against cigar connoisseurs, they will fire those employees. Now, I'm waiting for them to next come out and say, anybody that consumes meat, and mark my words, alphas, listen to me right now. They start the enemies of pleasure, get their foot in the door. It's all about getting the foot in the door like a cockroach. Once a cockroach invades your home, yeah, you can spray, but they're going to still find their way back. And it's all about incrementalism. So first they say, we're only going to hire people that don't smoke any tobacco products, including cigars. Then wait for it. Six months, a year down the road, somebody will say, well, we believe that meat and any other non vegetarian, non-vegan food is not healthy for you, so therefore we're only going to hire vegans. And if we test you and we find out that your cholesterol level is high or there's something else or we spot you eating meat, we can fire you. Mark my words, it will happen. They'll go after people that are gun owners, legal, lawful gun owners. Gun owners. We don't like people owning guns. We're going to fire you. This will not stop at just tobacco. It won't stop at cigars. U-Haul fired the opening shot. There are other companies that have done it, but they will follow U-Haul's lead. So they can't enact prohibition, but companies can say, well, we don't believe in prohibition, but you want to work for us, you can't enjoy a cigar. And then they're going to say you can't enjoy meat and you can't enjoy alcoholic spirits. Spirits, mark my words, this is the beginning. we got to stop it dead in its tracks right now. The National Cigar Litation. And libation ceremony is next. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app. For Apple, Android, and Kindle devices, you can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. This is a Cigar Dave's News Bulletin. Huge earth-shattering announcement in the cigar industry made yesterday that four major cigar manufacturers will not, repeat, will not be attending the 2020 Premium Cigar Association Convention and Trade Show in Las Vegas mid-July. The four companies, Altatus USA, General Cigar, Davidoff North America, and Drew Estate. Four major cigar companies representing 20% of the entire exhibit floor space will not be attending the annual cigar, what was the Cigar Retailers Convention, now it's called the Premium Cigar Association Convention and Trade Show. Now, 
the reasons given, multiple. Not just one, a whole host of reasons. Number one, the manufacturers were not happy with the dialogue taking place with the Premium Cigar Association regarding a number of major issues. The time of year the convention takes place, the size, the format, they were not happy with the fact that the Premium Cigar Association was in talks last summer to join forces with the Cigar Rights of America. They are not happy with the expense, the return on investment, a multitude of reasons. This has been going on now for about six months. Last few weeks, the discussions broke down with the Premium Cigar Association. I don't see these four manufacturers changing their mind between now and July. I think the decision has been made. Next week, I will spend far more time on the intricate reasons, but I wanted to bring that breaking news to you today since it took place yesterday. We were one of the first uh, people to break it in the cigar industry. Repeating, Altadas USA, Davidoff of Geneva, Drew Estate, and General Cigar will not be attending the Premium Cigar Association Convention in Las Vegas this coming July. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Our first official Litation Libation Ceremony for 2020 as we have moved the Ford Theater of Operations. Command Center Alpha to the Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa. Stone's Throw from Tampa International Airport. And we have got the Casa Fernandez, Agonorsa Leaf, Connecticut. A beautiful cigar, absolutely delicious. It is not your typical Connecticut. When you think about Connecticut, Connecticut Ecuadorian wrapper, you think a mild, mild to medium, very pleasant. And this cigar is. No ifs, ands, or buts. This, uh, buts, this Casa Fernandez, Agonorsa Leaf, Connecticut, very smooth, but it has a lot of flavor. It is not, as they say, your father's Oldsmobile. It is not your father's Connecticut. Definitely some amped up flavors in the blends. Connecticut Ecuadorian wrapper. I've pulled out the Toro, which is a lovely square press, six inch by 52 ring gauge, 52, 64, seven inch in diameter cigar, size cigar. Suggested retail on this particular stick is about uh, eight bucks, and it's got Nicaraguan and, uh, or Nicaraguan binder and fillers that are grown by the Agonorsa leaf on the Agonorsa Leaf Farms. Absolutely magnificent looking cigar. We have featured several of their cigars in the 2019 Officers Club selections. We've got some great selections coming up and we'll do another Agonorsa Leaf or Casa Fernandez cigar sometime later this year. But that is my cigar of choice today, the Casa Fernandez Agonorsa Leaf, Connecticut. Just a real beauty. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. I have in my hot little hand my self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, in commemoration with Trump taking out a key Iranian terrorist, the R&D labs came running out in their lab coats and their pocket protectors saying, General... We've got a brand new litation device that we're sharing with you, and it is called the mother of all executions. 
Basically, this thing looks like a giant missile. You press it, the flame just comes, just looks literally like a rocket is launched from a drone. And that's exactly what I will use today. Look at this flame, man. This thing, I'm telling you, this thing looks like it should be going to outer space with this kind of flame. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. I will now toast the foot of this magnificent-looking cigar. This Casa Fernandez, Aganorsa Leaf, Connecticut. Beautiful square press. And when you look at this Ecuadorian Connecticut leaf, it is not a typical, very light, tan-colored cigar. This almost looks like a deeper brown, medium brown, definitely not Maduro, but certainly what I would call in the deep Colorado territory. Colorado meaning a tan in Spanish, Colorado. This is a very nice-looking cigar, beautiful-looking feel to it. Oily wrapper, I'll puff and rotate. Nice draw. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Mm. Wow. This mother of all execution litation devices does the trick. Outstanding work by the R&D laboratory, guys. Absolutely fantastic. Now, all right, take a few puffs. Definitely getting... Nice little spice on the palate. Little pepper. Tad bit of creaminess. Very nice. Now I need something to accompany this beautiful looking stick. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, I need something that's going to stand up to this cigar that's not going to overpower it. And as it happens, January 2020 at the Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge in the Cigar City and the three Corona Cigar Stores and Lounges in the uh, city of Orlando are celebrating Dalmore Scotch Month. So, therefore, I have selected the Dalmore Cigar Malt Reserve. This is a beautiful accompaniment to outstanding cigars. A single malt matured in American White Oak X bourbon casks. Then it goes into an Oloroso Sherry Cask and Cabernet Sauvignon Barriques. It is a really interesting aroma on the nose. I will say cheers. Take a sip. Mm. Wow, zestiness, little citrus, little fruit, little cinnamon, almost like a little one of those cinnamon candies, that, a little fireball. Very pleasant. About 170 bucks for a bottle of this. Not inexpensive, but the Dalmore is just one of those Scotch whiskeys that sometimes gets overlooked by some of the other better name brands. But I will tell you, absolutely magnificent. Perfect pairing. My Casa Fernandez Aganorsa Leaf, Connecticut, as I take a puff. Very nice. Now, I will take a little swig of the Dalmore Cigar Malt Reserve, aged in three different types of barrels and casks. Mm. Just delicious. A perfect pairing to start 2020. And may all our pairings, your pairings, be as outstanding throughout all the rest of 2020. 2020, hard to believe. Hour number one of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show in the Annals of History. We have much more coming your way. Hour number two will also fill you in on what the January 2020 Officers Club selection is. we got a great one for you. Much more coming your way. Keep your cigar nice and properly puffed. Take a sip of your libation and stand by.
A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. 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 Well, as our good friend Lee Corso would say, life is good. We have in our hands the Casa Fernandez Aganorsa Leaf, Connecticut. Or I gently puff and enjoy the magnificent taste and aroma surrounding me. And I've got a snifter of the Dalmore Cigar Malt Reserve, aged in three separate types of barrels. Take a sip. If 2020 is as good as this cigar and its accompanying Delmore Scotch, single malt Scotch, we will be in my fellow alphas and lieutenants for a magnificent year. As always, we welcome you back, our number two of the Cigar Dave Show. And Sergeant Steve, you have just told me you are working on a new update revision to CigarDave.com, freshening up in the new decade. Yes, well, you know, it's a new decade, new website. It's time. Uh, This one was only, what, two years old? Uh, About two years old, yeah. Yeah, So refreshing it. I know I've seen the beta, and we're going to launch that, what, a couple of weeks? It should be within a couple of weeks, if not sooner. Outstanding. We're going to make it nice and clean and uh, add more content, as always. So outstanding. Now, Sergeant Steve, let me ask you a question here. Give me one second here. Uh, do you reside in a single family home? I do. Well, oh, Sergeant Steve, I'm sorry. You are a racist. I am. Yes. Democrat lawmakers in Virginia want to override local zoning laws and abolish single family single family housing. I'm so irate about this stupid story that I'm bumbling over my words. They want to abolish single family housing, which they say is Racist. And you know what the second thing they're saying? Bad for the environment. Well, of course it is. Right. According to the Daily Caller's Luke Rosiak, the measure could quickly transform the suburban lifestyle enjoyed by millions, permitting duplexes to be built on suburban lots and neighborhoods previously consisting of quiet streets and open green spaces. They're calling this upzoning. This is the new term they're using, upzoning. Upzoning. What happens when you own multiple single-family homes? Bernie Sanders. But I'd said this. Listen, there's no question I am a racist because I have multiple homes. And at one time, I used to go after the billionaires, billionaires, and zillionaires. Now, because I, Bernard Sanders, am a billionaire with my book sales, I'm not going to apologize for that. I only go after the billionaires and zillionaires. Personally, as a billionaire, I don't want to pay my fair share. However, as a billionaire and zillionaire, you should pay your fair share. Right, Bernard Sanders, Mr. Socialist himself, 
has three homes. What about Al Gore's house? Is that racist? I'm Al Gore. I've got a 20,000-square-foot house. Do as I say, not as I do. This is the guy that says that we should all stop using electricity. We should all, that the earth is going to be all, I think he said by 2020, January 1, 2020, like the entire, all the coast would be submerged underwater. Last time I looked, Miami Beach is still there. Mm-hmm. I checked. Joe Stonecrab has not been submerged. Nope. Stonecrabs are still there. So this is this new upzoning term they're using, and they say the changes are necessary because suburbs are bastions of segregation and elitism as well as bad for the environment. Sergeant Steve, you live in a suburb, don't you? I do. I live in the city, so therefore yes. I am not a bastion. Where I live is not a bastion of segregation and elitism. You, however, as Bernard S- Sanders would say, you, my friend, are an elitist, and you are a bastion of segregation. You are bad for the environment. Get out. No. Exactly. The proposed changes were actually introduced to the Virginia House by Delegate Ibrahim Samira, Texocrat, as part of six housing measures. Now, he said that suburbs were mostly white and wealthy and that their local officials, who have historically been in charge of zoning, were ignoring the desires of poor people. Here's how I see this. Every time you look around, people are being called racists. All of a sudden now, if you live in a single-family home, you're a racist. You're bad for the environment. Now, all of a sudden, if you go to a restaurant, you're a racist because there could be people of a different race who maybe don't go to a restaurant. This is nonsense. This country is aspirational. No matter what your color, what your religion, what your, your nationality, this has always been an aspirational country. When legal immigrants come to this country, they aspire to living the American dream. Now, for everybody, the American dream doesn't necessarily mean uh, having you know, five jets and uh, ten homes and, uh, you know, blowing $20 million on a piece of artwork. But for most people, they look and say, hey, the opportunity to live in a nice house in the suburbs or the city wherever you want, to raise your family, to send your kids to good schools, to start a business, to be able to provide for your family, how on earth is that racist? Because every single person, every single American believes in the American dream. Well, I shouldn't say every American. A lot of the socialists do not. They want themselves to have the American dream, but everybody else, forget about it. You don't get anything. This is the latest salvo in nonsense spewing that everybody now, for some stupid reason, is racist. And I love when people say, and a lot of these politicians say, well, we must embrace our diversity. This country has always been a melting pot, has always embraced diversity. The difference is we didn't have it stuffed and jammed and rammed down our throats. If you talk to most people, they say, hey, forget talking. You know, when immigrants came to this country, they didn't come in and say, well, I'm an Italian-American, I'm a German-American, I'm a Russian-American, I'm a Brazilian-American, I'm an African-American. They said, I'm American. That's how it should be. People want to move to the suburbs, no matter what their race. Nobody's stopping them. So I guess if a person of color would move into a suburb, then Sergeant Steve, would we define them as racist as well? Apparently. Apparently that would be the case. So therefore, now all of a sudden, if you're a person of color, you too are a racist. If you are white and move to the suburbs, you are racist. If you are a legal immigrant 
I guess illegal immigrants, too, are moving to the suburbs. I guess they could be considered racist. This is just absolute nonsense. And I really believe Americans now are getting fed up with this divisional politics. They're tired of saying, I'm a hyphenated this American, hyphenated that American. You're just American. That's the end of it. Period. And enough is enough. But Sergeant Steve, you live in the suburbs. I don't. Therefore, you are far more racist than I am. What if you're an environmentalist and you move to the suburbs? Then you're just racist. Then you're just racist because then they would say, well, because you're an environmentalist and you buy carbon offsets for the power that you use in your home, that's I love like Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, how dare you all? How dare you? But she traveled back to Europe on a plane, but they bought carbon offsets for her. Just like Al Gore. Well, I do travel by private plane, but I buy carbon offsets. Michael Gloomberg. The enemy of salt, the enemy of cigars, the enemy of pleasure, while he was mayor of New York, enemy of the Second Amendment, wanted to go over to, I think it was Barcelona or Madrid last month, and speak to the climate, the World Climate Change Conference. Now, how do you think Michael Gloomberg got there? Did he swim? Did he take an, a, a sailboat that would use no carbon? Did he take a commercial airliner? No. He took his own Falcon Trijet. Three engines that leaves a giant carbon footprint. Had he just, compared to uh, if he had taken a commercial airliner. Remember what I said. They're all hypocrites. Do as I say, not as I do. No matter what the politician says, they'll always stand up and wag your finger at you that you're evil, you're wrong, you shouldn't enjoy your life, you shouldn't live in a house in the suburbs, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, but yet it's okay for them to make millions of dollars. I believe in the capitalist system. If you come up with an idea, like Apple, Nobody for Sergeant Steve, when you bought your iPhone or your MacBook, and we both have our MacBook Pros here, were you led in chains and handcuffs and forced to purchase your iPhone or your MacBook Pro? No. I wasn't either. Nobody was led by unwillingly to go into an Apple store and say, all right, you're forcing me to buy this $800 iPhone and this $2,000 MacBook Pro. You're forcing me, so I'll buy it. Nobody's ever done that. They created a product that people enjoy, that people like using, that helps to people's productivity. Otherwise, if it didn't do any of those aforementioned items, people wouldn't spend the money. So no, they're not bank robbers. Apple or IBM or Intel or any other company that comes up with a product. Yet, you would think that the method in which they became giant companies, starting from a garage, mind you, was by forcing people to go and purchase their products. Nothing could be further from the truth. But yet, everybody's made to feel guilty because, oh, it's big Silicon Valley, it's big this, it's big that. Nothing could be further from... These two guys, it was Wozniak and uh, Steve Jobs started in their garage. Think about that for a second. Dell Computer was the same way. Right, exactly. Michael Dell in college, and he ended up dropping out of college. I think he went to the University of Texas. Dropped out of college because he created this business. Nobody, when they start a business, thinks, man, this is going to be, I'm going to have at one time, what does Apple have, like $300 billion in cash, some ridiculous amount? Nobody comes out and says, hey, we're going to have, I'm going to build this business, and one day I'm going to be a billionaire. Most people say, I've got this idea, and maybe I can make a nice living. Who knows where it's going to go? 
you can't. It's not like a Harvard study where you put everything in and it just falls right. Apple went through a lot of tough times back in the day and almost was bankrupt. And then they came out with the iPhone, and that revolutionized the way we communicate to this day. So when you take a look at an industry, there was no smartphone industry. I mean, who were the first guys that had the smartphone? Do you remember? BlackBerry. Yeah. And everybody said, oh, and then before that, remember, I don't know if you remember this, Sergeant Steve. Do you remember the Palm Pilot or the handspring? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I had yes. one of those, and yes. you'd have to sink. I was like, oh, this thing is amazing. And then BlackBerry came out, and oh, man, this keyboard. And then when Apple came out, boom, total disruptor, and they put BlackBerry pretty much out of business. Yep. So it really is incredible. But when I hear these people that now want to outlaw single-family homes or other things under the guise that it's racist, it's bad for the environment, enough is enough. Sergeant Steve, Boeing. I have talked about Boeing and the 737 crap. You have? For almost, uh, what, a year now? You have? A little bit less than a year. No, no, about a year. I don't recall those conversations. You don't recall? (laughs) (laughs) Go back in the archives. They're all there. What have I been saying Since the very first time I talked about the 737 MAX issues when they came to light, what did I say about the CEO of Boeing at the time? Do you remember? Needs to go bye-bye. Dennis Muhlenberg, the former, he was CEO, and the board backed him up and said, no, no, he's got our support, he's the guy, he's the guy, until all of a sudden he got a call from the chairman of the board and the, the, uh, who was the acting chairman of the board and the lead director, that's called up and told them just before the holidays, board has no confidence in you, you're out. Now, they didn't technically fire him, but amazingly, he submitted his letter of resignation within about 30 seconds after the phone call, and he was totally blindsided. And I was shocked that he was blindsided. All you had to do was look at how he appeared in front of Congress, how weak he was, how he didn't come right out and say, we screwed up, we're going to make this prop, we're going to fix this, and we are going to make it right. We can never make it totally right with the people who were killed in those two accidents, but we are going to do the best that we can. Never did that. He got lawyered up, let the lawyers decide for him instead of just using his alpha brain. And he's not an alpha. He was a wussified beta. But had he done that, a leader comes out, admits the problem, and away they go. He did not do that. But I was, I've was i been calling for his ouster for 10 months, and then boom, December Bye-bye. Were you calling for his parachute package that he got, too? I don't believe, well, he did not. He said that he would not take a salary or bonus for 2019. What a swell guy to do that, yeah. huh? How swell. But uh, I think he does have stock options. Uh, but, he, oh, trust me, these CEOs, they don't, they don't leave without big money. And over the years, he made big money. I, why don't you look up his compensation package, Sergeant Steve, while we talk about that. That would certainly be very interesting. But Muhlenberg got the Thanksgiving surprise, December 23rd, 2019. Bye-bye. That is it. And as Ron Popeil would say, but wait, there's more. Boeing has now discovered with an internal audit to determine whether it had accurately assessed dangers of key systems given new assumptions about how long it might take pilots to respond to emergencies, discovered that there were previously unreported concerns with the wiring that helps control the tail of the 737 MAX. The company is looking into whether two bundles of critical wiring are too close together 
and could cause a short circuit. Isn't, doesn't that make you feel great about that 737? That not only does it have that MCAS nonsensical augmentation system because it's an inherently unstable aircraft, now all of a sudden they find out, oh, we got wiring too close together, could cause a short circuit. A short in that area could lead to a crash if pilots didn't respond correctly. Now remember, these are the same pilots that were never told about the MCAS system. These are the same pilots that were never placed in a 737 MAX simulator to recreate or go over MCAS failures. And now the FAA is telling Boeing, you need to put people, you need to put all the pilots through MAX simulator training. So the news keeps getting worse. And part of the reason why Muhlenberg was whacked as the CEO is because he had a contentious relationship with the FAA. And the head of the FAA, Steve, I believe it's Dixon or Dickinson, brought him in and said, you keep telling everybody you're going to have this thing back in the air by the end of December 2019. That's not going to happen. You're not going to rush. We're going to do what's right. You're withholding information. And when the board saw that and the FAA basically slapped their wrists, that was the end of him, out the door. So now the FAA is saying, we want to put pilots of the 737 MAX through simulator training, which they should have in the first place. But there's always a little money issue. Boeing signed a deal with airlines at the time of the MAX development, before the MAX was even done. They said that they were going to make it just like all the other 737s. Same system, same flying characteristics. So pilots will just need to go through a one-hour computer familiarization course, an online uh, familiarization course. Won't have to go through full simulator training. It'll be a common type rating with all the other 737s. Well, the airlines negotiated that if that wasn't the case, Boeing would reimburse the airlines, Southwest for sure, and I think American and United as well, $1 million per plane if the pilots would have to go through simulator training. That's why Boeing didn't talk about the MCAS to airlines and pilots. That's why they withheld it, because they knew damn well at the time that not only would they have to make every, or every pilot go through 737 MAX simulator training, but they would have to write a check for $1 million. And I think Southwest has, what, 35, 40 of them? So that'd be a $35, $40 million check. Plus, they've got another, whatever, 200 or whatever on order. So that is some major shekels. And consequently, Boeing didn't want to do that. Every step of the way, Boeing screwed up. How much did Boeing save by guaranteeing that Pilots would not have to go through additional training. How much did they save? Did they save the million dollar per airplane? Nope. Did they save money by cutting back on engineering and not doing what the engineers wanted to do to make the 737 MAX inherently stable? Nope. They came up with this cockamamie MCAS system. What, is the, what have they saved? They've been hemorrhaging billions of dollars. There are 400 plus 737 MAXs that are sitting at uh, the Renton Fact, Boeing Renton Factory in the parking lot. They've spread them out. They've flown them to different areas because airlines can't close. They're not airworthiness. You don't have an airworthiness certificate from the FAA. You can't legally fly or sell that airplane. So consequently, they're sitting on 400 airplanes where they've had to buy the engines. They've had to buy all the systems. They've had to pay their employees. They're losing billions. So how much did they save? The old uh, adage, penny wise, dollar foolish. 
applies to Boeing. Absolute disaster. And kudos to the FAA because their new administrator is a pilot himself for Delta. In fact, I think he was the senior VP of operations or flying for Delta. Took the job uh, with the FAA under the Trump administration. He's a pilot himself. He doesn't want surprises. I'm a pilot. I don't want surprises. And kudos to him to tell the FAA reviewers who are going over all the Boeing systems and going over all the documentation, do not rush. If something is not right, do not approve it. Do what is right. But I have to tell you, I think this plane is so flawed. The 737 MAX, the reputation is so tarnished that I don't think airlines are going to want to buy those airplanes. In fact, we're seeing other airlines now that have shifted, that have purchased Airbus. Airbus is now the leading number one plane manu- uh, uh, commercial plane manufacturer in the world. That was Boeing's domain. And as much as I despise Muhlenberg and the board for allowing this to happen and the senior executives, when you look at the ripple effect on the economy, there are companies, some companies make small little components that aren't huge giant aerospace corporations. Some make small little switches that go on the yoke or within the cockpit. They're affected. Their business is down. They've had to lay people off. There's a ripple effect throughout the economy. Again, irresponsible from Dennis Muhlenberg all the way down the line of the senior executives for them to cut corners. Instead of saying, we at Boeing, we may be, our plane, our 737 MAX, or whatever the case is, it may take a little bit longer, but we're going to make sure it is a great airplane. They didn't. They put out and sold a piece of garbage, inherently unstable aircraft. And when you think of Boeing, some great airplanes, a 727, what a great workhorse. Think of the 757. That airplane today still is an amazing airplane. Pilots love to fly it. 767. You look at a 757 sitting on the tarmac, even when it's standing still, motionless, that airplane looks like it wants to fly. The 787. That has some issues, but the 777, a great airplane, 747, the queen of the skies, Boeing lost their way. Why? Because they focused on finance, not on engineering. We saw the same thing happen with uh, the big three in Detroit. Always focus on product and on quality. Then you worry about finance. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional Line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown 
Padrón Habano Tobacco. Available in natural or maduro. Experience Padrón. For your Padrón retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padrón is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The General is on fire today. He returns in three minutes. until Cigar Dave resumes hosting maneuvers. Cigar Dave returns to the mic in one minute. Cigar Dave is back in five, four, three, two. has just illuminated the no pleasure police sign. Enemies of pleasure may now return to their miserable lives. 
I want to tell you about the January 2020 Officers Club selection. We are starting the year with a magnificent selection. New Cigar launched last summer at the Premium Cigar Association Convention in Las Vegas. Comes to us from Alec Bradley Cigars. Specifically, it is the Alec and Bradley Gatekeeper. Now, Alec and Bradley Rubin, son of Alec Bradley founder Alan Rubin, who named the company after his two sons, Alec and Bradley. And they are now working with some great blenders on creating new cigars. And they, for the very first time, decided to go to the uh, Dominican Republic, work with Ernesto Perez Carrillo, owner of EPC Cigar, and uh, work with him down at his La Alianza Cigar Factory in Santiago, República Dominicana. Gatekeeper is a very unique cigar. Now, this comes on the heels of the Blind Faith. Blind Faith was the first cigar that Alec and Bradley had blended together. Limited edition, launched in 2018, big hit. The Gatekeeper will be a regular production cigar. Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder with fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua, smooth, rich, nice notes of cedar, little bit of nuttiness, if you will, nice construction. I mean, everything Ernesto Perez Carrillo makes, top of the line. Just a beautiful-looking cigar. And this particular cigar will come in four sizes, a Corona, a Gordo, which is a Magnum, six inches in length with a 60 ring gauge, so one of the giant size ring gauges, almost an inch in diameter, a Robusto, five inches with a 50 ring gauge, and the Toro, six inches by 52. We will be shipping a nice vertical tasting. I think we're doing, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to do the Corona, the Gordo, and I think we're doing either a Robusto or a Toro. But we'll have three of the four sizes for the January 2020 selection. They range in price between $8.75 and $12.25. Very unique-looking packaging. The uh, band on it is a very gothic-looking Medusa head. Very different than a typical Alec Bradley cigar. But Alec and Bradley, Ruben decided they wanted to do something differently and uh, sampled many of them over the last six months. And when I met with Alec uh, and Bradley, as well as Alan Rubin and Ralph Montero, I said, guys, we need to do the new gatekeeper to start off 2020. They said, General, that's what you want. That's what we will do. So it is the January 2020 Officers Club selection. If you are not a member of the Officers Club selection, or Officers Club, you need to join right now. Go to CigarDave.com. $22.95 per month gets you three fantastic cigars. We have had some incredible Incredible selections the last number of years. 2019, everyone was just over the top. 2020, the exact same thing. So go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, become a member. Now, if you want the gatekeeper, sorry, it's too late for January. That's why you need to join by the end of January to get our February selection, which is going to be coming from Crown Heads. We'll tell you that selection in just a few weeks, but every month you get three beautiful cigars and a Cigar Dave Officers Club pouch shipped directly to you magnificent. Know you will enjoy those cigars. The Golden Globe Awards that is staged by the Hollywood Foreign Press took place at the Beverly Hilton Sunday evening. Now, I happen to be flicking around, uh, you know, and I'm still in the mode of Sunday night looking for a football game because Sunday night football. 
And my bills, don't even talk to me about my bills. Check my Twitter timeline to see how I feel about my bills. What a disaster. Absolute collapse. Don't even get me started on that one. And by the way, hashtag Josh Allen, draft bust. He is not a franchise quarterback. Not going to get into it now. Check my Twitter timeline. You'll see that I am right, as always. So I'm flicking around just out of habit. I'm used to going to NBC, Golden Globes, and I just finished watching the previous playoff game. And Maybe I was on NBC hoping maybe there'd be another football game on. There's not, of course. And the Golden Globes start. Ricky Gervais, the actor, the comedian, starts doing his monologue. I figured, let me just watch 30 seconds of it. I don't want to watch any of these, you know, Hollywood uh, liberal wackadoodles. He starts going off. Funny as hell, going right after the Hollywood liberal establishment right in the audience. Quite uncomfortable for some of those, uh, those liberal, you know, Hollywood types. Absolutely fantastic. So that's all I watched was like the first six minutes of him. He was magnificent. Then I turned it off. I had zero interest in watching it. Well, then I find out that Joaquin Phoenix, who apparently won a Golden Globe for the best actor in a motion picture drama in Joker, made a speech. And it went about five, six minutes. He went long. But the one thing that I heard, I started seeing clips, sound bites, and video bites of the end of his speech where he deals and talks about climate change and the fires in Australia. Take a listen. It's really nice that so many people have come up and, and sent, uh, sent their well wishes to Australia, um, but we have to do more than that. Um, but sometimes we have to take that responsibility on ourselves and make changes and sacrifices in our own lives. We don't have to take private jets to Palm Springs for the war sometimes or back. He's right. And everybody kind of chuckled, but the truth was, I will guarantee you that many people, many of those actors and Hollywood types in attendance did fly in just for the night, did fly in on private jets. And I have no problem with private jets. I'm all in favor of it. But when they're the ones saying we have to change our ways because of climate change, when Leonardo DiCaprio makes a big deal and jumps up and down and goes crazy about, about the uh, impending climate change and the seas rising, but yet has no problem traveling across the country using Sony's Gulfstream to go back and forth for one day to Vegas and to L.A. and then overseas to get some award just for a day or two days, but yet wags his finger at everyone else saying, you're contributing to climate change? What about him? And a lot of people in the audience uncomfortably laughed because they know it's true, and many of them were all guilty of that. But I did want to really call out Joaquin Phoenix. I, I have to applaud him because one of the things that he said, that during this award season where they have the Golden Globes and then they have, what are they, the Academy Awards or the whatever, at Oscars, I don't watch those shows, so I couldn't tell you. But he said that to do his part for climate change, he is going to use and wear the same tuxedo during award season this year. He's not going to buy a separate tuxedo. Now, how many of us would go out and buy a separate tuxedo if we had to go to a wedding one weekend and then some other formal event another weekend? Sergeant Steve, would you go out and buy a new tuxedo for every occasion? I buy a new shirt for every day. I mean, uh, As you should. See, I knew you were contributing to climate change. I can feel there's more warmth going on around here. We got, In fact, I'm looking at my drink, and magically, the water level is rising in my cocktail right here as, as we conduct broadcast maneuvers from the Davidoff of Geneva Store Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa. But I had to laugh when I heard this. 
I'm doing my part. I'm not going to, I'm going to wear the same top. Like he's doing, making such a sacrifice. So you go to the dry cleaner, send it to Colvin Cleaner, send the, the tuxedo to Captain Paul, the shirt, get it cleaned right. using the green earth method, and you're good to go. Aren't most of the designers giving them the tuxedo for the night? I have no clue, but even if they're giving it to them, maybe they are. The mere fact that he's saying, I'm only going to, I'm sacrificing so much. I'm going to drive back to Palm Springs, and I'm going to wear the same tuxedo for the Academy Awards and the, uh, the Emmy Awards. I mean, what a sport. We, we should give this man a standing ovation for what he is doing for climate change. This is how ridiculous these Hollywood types think. They actually think that they're making such a sacrifice by wearing the same suit or the same tuxedo. It is comical. It is beyond laughable. It is an LMAO, laugh my ass off moment. So again, while he says, just for award season, I'm going to wear the same tuxedo three times, and then next year I'm going to get a new tuxedo and contribute more to climate change, this is just absurd. They want to make you and I feel guilty because we fire up our grill, want to enjoy nice juicy steaks, and all that smoke goes into the atmosphere. They want to make us feel guilty because we want to fly somewhere, travel somewhere. They make us feel guilty because we want to use air conditioning, while at the very same time, they're using more air conditioning, they're traveling using more fuel on private planes than any of us would combined. But again, this is how they think that they should be lauded because they're wearing the same tuxedo. Absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Now, let's stay in the People's Republic of California. As you know, bags are evil. Plastic is evil. So what have we heard by all these environmentalists, these climate change nutcases, these wackadoodles, these whack jobs? They have stated, we need to get rid of styrofoam because it is not good for the environment. It uses various petrolites. So consequently, those are part of the fossil fuels and it contributes to global man-made warming or climate change. So we have to replace everything with paper. Paper cups, paper plates. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Well, what did I tell you about inc incrementalism earlier on? When a cockroach gets into your home, you may stomp it out initially, but once they get in the door, they will find their way to continue in the house and through the door. When the enemies of pleasure just crack the door open and say, we only want to eliminate smoking in indoor restaurants and indoor spaces, once they got their foot in that door, they then broke the door down and pushed for the elimination of smoking cigars in outdoor patios, outdoor restaurants, outdoor bars, golf courses on the street, incrementalism. They start small and they keep going. Latest example from Berkeley People's Republic of California. They have imposed a 25-cent fee on single-use cups at restaurants and coffee shops with the hope that more consumers will use their own refillable cups and help the environment. So again, the first thing they come after, styrofoam cups, plastic cups, bad, got to get rid of them. Well, it didn't take long. About a year, year and a half later, they're right back saying, we're not making paper cups illegal. We're just going to charge a 25-cent fee. They want to, and I use air quotes here, incentivize people to use fewer disposable cups. Berkeley City Councilwoman Sophie Hahn 
author of the ordinance said that an estimated 40 million cups are thrown away in the city each year. Well, wait a minute. Aren't 40 million paper cups, aren't they recycled? Don't you put the, every Starbucks I've seen or every restaurant, they have the, the three different trash cans where you put glass in one, you put the uh, recyclables in another, and then plastic or other things in another trash bin. Aren't they all supposed to be recycled? She said, imagine if we were to cut that even in half, it would make a huge impact. It requires businesses to use compostable cups and food containers and charge customers 25 cents for a disposable cup. And many in Berkeley support the new fee, hopeful it will help the environment. Some, however, think it could do harm to small businesses. And I agree. Not everybody brings their own cup. I mean, if I'm traveling, and I travel extensively, I'm going into a place, I'm not going to put my, bring my own cup when I, in my briefcase or in my travel bag when I'm going in another city. I go into a restaurant or a coffee shop, and I expect, great, for that money, they're going to give me a cup. This isn't Costco where they don't give you a bag, you get the refillable boxes. I mean, what are they going to say next? Oh, if you want a drink here, cup your hands together, and we'll, we'll just pour it out of, the, uh, out of the Coke bottle, and you can drink it that way or out of the fountain. It's ridiculous. This is how stupid these people are. But unfortunately, the small businesses are going to get whacked and nailed. Now, the city councilwoman, Han, says that it's a misunderstanding how the fee works. She said the fee is not a tax where the money goes back to the city. No, 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 no. She says the restaurants and cafes get to keep the money. So wait a minute. Hold on a second. The restaurants and cafes get to keep the money. So if they give you a cup that costs them maybe a penny or a half a cent, they will have a 25 times or 30 times markup, 50 times markup on that cup. It'll become a profit center for them. I want to know, is Han in the bank? Is she in the tank? Is she in the bag for these businesses that are maybe saying, hey, this is a good profit generator for us? Dagny Tucker, founder of Vessel, a free cup rental services uh, service that offers reusable aluminum cups at a cafe in Berkeley, said the new fee is a win for the environment, customers, and businesses. So well, let me get this straight. Now there's a company that rents you an aluminum cup. I'm going to pay Three and a half bucks for a Starbucks cup of coffee that's overpriced to begin with, and now i got to rent the damn aluminum cup or pay 25 cents to be able to drink the coffee that I'm paying. And I, by the way, I rarely go to Starbucks. I prefer Dunkin' Donuts. I prefer even when you go to, like, Circle K or 7-Eleven, their coffee is better than the uh, uh, overbrewed Starbucks. But this is absurd. And sooner or later, you just knew that the environmentalists were going to find a way to go after paper cups. They went after plastic. They went after styrofoam. Now they're saying we're going after your paper cup. Now, Blue Bottle, whose parent company is Nestle, is a coffee, uh, like a coffee, uh, uh, coffee company, Blue Bottle Coffee Company. They announced on December 25th, Christmas Day, that it will join a number of coffee houses that not only have banned plastic to-go cups, but are now giving paper-to-go cups the boot as well. They use 15,000 to-go cups a month at its 70 U.S. locations, and they want to show their guests and the world that we can eliminate, they can eliminate disposable cups. It's a pilot program that will begin at two of its San Francisco branches in 2020. Blue Bottle, 
His parent companies, Nestle, said that customers who want to carry out their coffee will have to bring their own mug or pay a deposit of between $3 and $5 for a reusable cup, which they can keep or return for a refund. It is not bad enough that these companies overcharge you and rape you for coffee, like Starbucks. As an example, I know how much coffee costs. To brew that cup of coffee, even with labor and everything, probably costs them, cup, everything, maybe 30 cents. And they're charging you whatever. I think a regular large is two and a half, three bucks now. Massive profit. But now they either want to charge you 25 cents for a cup, or you can rent between three and five bucks a reusable cup, and if you don't bring it back, you bought the cup. Enough is enough. This is nothing more than, number one, Blue, uh, uh, Blue Bottle Coffee Company to further rape and rip off their customers. And this is nothing more than the environmentalists coming out saying, we don't like the fact that you use cups, period. They did it with plastic bags, and now they're going to start doing it with paper cups. Enough is enough. Wegmans, a big supermarket chain in New York State. Actually, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll come back because we need to take a timeout. When we come back, they announce they are going to end the use of plastic bags. And then they're probably going to get rid of paper bags. And then they're going to make you just basically stick everything you can in your hands and carry it out. Enough is enough. Common sense is now an endangered species. The final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show from the Davidoff Store Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa comes your way next. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is the Gatekeeper from Alec and Bradley. This cigar was blended with the help of Ernesto Perez Carrillo. This beautiful stick has notes of cedar, nuts, and leather, giving it a smooth and rich profile. You can get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Get details at CigarDave.com. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth. It will entice you to enjoying more and more of the Vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. A new year is upon us, and that means that I have selected 12 fantastic monthly selections for the 2020 Cigar Dave Officers Club, and it begins this month, January 2020, with the Alec and Bradley Gatekeeper, a magnificent collaboration between Alec Rubin, Bradley Rubin of Alec Bradley Cigars, and Ernesto Perez Querillo of EPC Cigar. They collaborated to make a magnificent, medium-bodied, very nice 
Rich Cigar. It is the Alec and Bradley Gatekeeper featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. Rich, little spice, little cedar, little nuttiness on the palate, a beautiful cigar. The first of 12 fantastic monthly selections in 2020 for the Cigar Dave Officers Club, the Alec and Bradley Gatekeeper. If you're not a member of the Officers Club, join now. $22.95 per month. You get three great cigars delivered to you each month. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join now. Hold it right there. Cigar Dave is back in two minutes. Resumes hosting maneuvers in one minute. Dave returns in five, four, three, two. The General has determined that enemies of pleasure are hazardous to your happiness. For your protection and sanity, they've been vaporized. That could not come fast enough. I am sick and tired of these enemies of pleasure. I'm sick and tired of these climate change wackadoodles. Wegmans, big supermarket chain, excellent supermarket chain in uh, based in Rochester, New York, and they're in New York, Massachusetts, Virginia, Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania. Great stores. They announced that after a two-store pilot test at their Corning and Ithaca, New York stores, Wegmans will eliminate single-use plastic grocery bags from all New York stores starting Monday, January 27th, beating a state ban which goes into effect March 1st. Paper bags will still be offered at the New York Wegmans stores, but with a five-cent fee. Proceeds will go to Feed More Western New York. Paper bags used for Instacart and Wegmans to go customers will not be charged the fee because they don't have the option of using reusable bags. Now, 
you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. I've got produce, you know, in deli, meat, uh, pharmacy. They've got those plastic bags, you know, you rip off and you put your apples or your bananas or your, your fruit, your vegetables in there. Those bags are plant-based. You probably didn't know that, Sergeant Steve. So, therefore, they're not going to charge for them. Again, nothing more than a cash grab. Now, I get the fact that they want to, they're saying, okay, we're going to take five cents for every bag, give it to Feed More, which I guess is uh, helps feeding needy people. Okay, that's great. But the reality is when you go into a store, you got to carry your products out. And a, it's interesting. They sell those reusable bags for 99 cents a bag. What is interesting is that tests have been run on those bags and they have shown they have hugely, just massive levels of bacteria, organisms, all sorts of nonsense in there that grows that is not good. Paper bags, fine. Get rid of plastic, okay. But charging me for a paper bag, enough's enough. Screw the enemies of pleasure and screw the enemies of bags. Enough is enough. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the climate change wackadoodles. And your five-star global Alpha Male-in-Chief and General makes you this pledge. In 2020, we will battle the enemies of pleasure until they are defeated. Guaranteed.